group of us change frequently, different combination of boys, let's say of about six or seven different guys. And it was pretty typical in the summer times when we didn't go to school. All of us just kind of roamed. Our parents were blue collar workers. It would be oppressively hot in the summertime. The heat would be radiating off the asphalt. You'd have tar stuck to the bottom of your shoe. And none of us had air conditioning. One sanctuary for us, because we lived directly behind the, the biggest uh, black funeral home in the city. And uh, this place had air conditioning in it. To walk inside the funeral home, all of us damp from sweat, it was like you would cool off immediately. Now, such was the community. People often went inside the funeral home to see people they barely knew or they just heard about, or maybe they were infamous in some way. That's the person who got killed robbing something. That's the kid that got ran over on his bike in front of the funeral home. So people often just went in to see people. They didn't have to know them. That, that was real common in the community. And the people who ran the funeral home, the funeral owners, they knew that a lot of times we would come in just to get out of the heat. But they had one kind of unwritten rule is you couldn't come in unless you were in a viewing room. You couldn't just be hanging. Uh, you, you could go in the viewing room, which meant that uh, we had to sit and look at a body. We would do it. We wouldn't want to. But we had all done it so many times, we knew the rules of the game. I'm about 12 years old when this story takes place. And it was late summer, and it was, it was hot as hell, probably one of the hottest days that I could actually remember. And we all piled into the funeral home in our usual fashion. We had just finished playing kickball outside, and what was unusual about that is I kicked the ball and it went way across the street toward this fence where this like crazy dog lived who would snap and snarl if anything got near that fence. Oh my God, it's going to go in the yard. And all of a sudden this kid just came out of nowhere and slapped the ball down and he saved the day. And none of us had seen him before. In the moment that that happened, not a one of us even said, who is this dude? It's because he looked like us, but this particular kid, he was with none of us. And that's when we first met him. We had all went inside in the funeral home and we're sitting on the road like we normally would do. And he was sitting with us and he didn't speak and we weren't speaking because we weren't supposed to. So his being unusually quiet was just par for the course, but when we got up and we left, a couple of us were saying, man, he could play good. What's his name? Uh, I think he's, who is he? So this boy started turning up all the time when we were playing. None of us could remember him ever being there when we would start a game. Uh, when we were trying to meet to get together, it would always be in the heat of the game. When all of us were thinking about nothing but the game, kicking the ball, throwing the ball, chasing each other, being on our bikes, racing around the corner, there'd be one more of us. He was skinny, 
brown skin, I'd say a two inch afro, not much of a fro. He wore short sleeve shirt, not buttoned at all, nothing underneath it. Cut off pants, tennis shoes and no socks. He didn't speak, but I would say something like, uh, do you want to go up the street or do you want to stay here? I would give him possible options. He would nod or shoulder shrug or have an expression on his face. The reason why none of us went into great depth about why he didn't speak is because in our community there were several kids and adults who had this kind of disability. This was an era where people with uh, developmental delays, they didn't get treated at all. I saw lots of kids coming out of the country who didn't speak or couldn't speak, who were mute. Um, that, that wasn't so uncommon. I probably knew a half a dozen kids like that. One day, me and the kid was hanging out in the alley, and I was looking at pigeons flying around the funeral home. And he looked up. And I had the sensation that he was saying, I like pigeons. I like pigeons. So I took him to my house to see my pigeons. I got introduced to pigeons, raising pigeons, when I was maybe 10 years old. You put them on your arm or something, you give them a grain of corn, and they were cool and they relaxed. You could... You could rub their back and they would squat down, raise their feathers up, pull their wings up in the air and spread them and they wouldn't, they wouldn't fly off. And to be able to walk out into the street with them and toss them up in the air and watch them just sail in the distance and it comes back to you, that was, that was the magic. It, you made a bird come back to you. So I was raising uh, pigeons in a makeshift coop I built in the... Uh, back of our house, uh, where I lived with my mama and my stepdad. And um, like most of the kids, we didn't have any real formal coops. We'd make them out of pieces of plywood, and old signs and posters, even old television sets. There's one type of pigeon called rollers. The rollers are different in that they have this habit of flipping in the air. We call it rolling, but what they're really doing is flipping. But the effect of that is the pigeon would be flying and it would be like he stopped flying in midair and start falling out of the sky. That's what it looks like. And they flip and flip. The better ones will do that almost till they hit the ground and come back up. It, it's a marvelous thing to see. And we would jump up and down and scream and holler and clap our hands to encourage them to, to roll. And you, it'd be a bunch of us standing around flipping, screaming, hollering. Come on, come on, come on, slapping our hands together. Come on, come on, come on. All of us had different calls for our pigeons, and we would do that. These pigeons were all financially out of our means. We are all poor kids. Um, a pigeon like that would probably cost $6 in 1972, 73. We were okay with any bird you could get, but if you had a roller, you know, up to that point, I hadn't had any rollers. We're in the backyard, and he's really excited, and he's comfortable with pigeons, you know. 
he knew how to hold them the right way, the way he smiled with them, the way he touched them and spread their wings, how they were comfortable with him, the way he walked around the coop and pulled at my wire and looked at my nails and he smiled at me and we walked around and he looked to see what I was feeding them. And, but the one thing I couldn't get from him then was, where are you from? Where you stay at, man? Who your folks is? Who you relate to? What school will you go to? Who you is? You know? And he would give me nothing. We would hang out more and more. We'd do more walking through the back alleys. We'd spend more time in my backyard. And one thing in particular happened. We were walking through the alley. And a lot of the alleys were dominated by dogs. Some old street dog that would just take over an alley. And this was one of those cases. And we both just took off. ran and we ran and I didn't look back to see what the dog was doing and I got about two blocks away and I was out of breath and, I, and then we got away, we did it we're together, we're boys, we bonded right? we friends now bent over and I was heaving and breathing hard and, but uh, he wasn't there he wasn't with me I didn't see him again until the next day For the first time, I was starting to feel funny about him. That didn't make sense. It was scary. It's like you disappeared. You, there, were, there was no place to go. I wanted to see him so badly the next day, he appeared. I was in the backyard with the pigeons. I turned around and there he was. And we went, he went to the coop like he normally would do. And I had to ask him, wait, before we do anything else, before we play, what, what happened to you yesterday? Where'd you go? And he gave me nothing. When I mentioned to my mother about this boy who would come and go and disappear and he wouldn't speak, my mother immediately told me, stay away from him. She just said, stay away from him. She was afraid. I didn't want to give him up. I didn't want to. It wasn't like I had a lot of friends. Whatever it was, it was good to me. He was my friend. I'm going to say it was a month later. So we're probably in August now. And we were taking our usual walk through the back alleys behind the funeral home. And we'd been walking for a couple of blocks. But we started going, and he was leading me in a direction that we had never went before. The, this was the first time he had ever wanted to show me something. I'm still feeling funny about him. And we walked about four or five more blocks, and we stopped in front of this house. It had previously been burned, and it was partially burned down. And it was falling apart, and weeds and trees were growing up in the yard, and that didn't mean anything. It's been burned for, I'm thinking, you must live somewhere near, around, what, what is it? Is it a building here? 
But as I'm standing there and I look at the house, I immediately remember, this is the house where that kid died in a fire. Now my heart's really starting to beat fast. And he gives me the impression that he wants me to to go inside the house. And I don't want to. I want to leave. But for whatever reason, I couldn't move. I don't mean like I was paralyzed or anything. I just, I felt compelled to stay right there and see it through. But I was scared. I mean, I, I was getting those bumps. I was breathing hard. And then I started crying. Not boohooing, but the kind of fear crying when tears just roll down your face. And I'm breathing hard, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, you ain't that kid that got killed in the fire? I ain't believing that. I mean, what am I thinking? Okay, I'm on the wrong track with this, right? But it seems like he's, I'm getting this data. Why I can't move like kid killed in the fire? I felt compelled to walk inside the house. But the kid wasn't walking with me. He stayed outside. I was having that feeling that I needed to go forward inside the house. And if the steps are falling apart and the ceilings collapse, the boards are, are wobbly and they're making creaky sounds. And the building is so unstable. But when I get up the steps, the way the light uh, came in from the ceiling, I see the pigeons. And I I know immediately, these are rollers. These are rollers. They're rollers up here. And I'm not afraid anymore. And not only are there rollers, this is a couple, and they got squabs or baby pigeons. I get the pigeons, babies and all, which which was quite difficult. Uh, trying to because they were flapping like crazy and uh, you know I'm 12 years old I'm trying to press them to my chest I started cooing at them coo coo which is something we would do to try to calm pigeons down and it worked and they stopped trying to flap and struggle with me when I come outside of the house with the pigeons pressed against my chest you know, they're flapping, going crazy. I want him to see this. This, this is amazing. And uh, he's not there when I come out. What he wanted me to have was those rollers. He knew I spoke about rollers all the time when we talked about pigeons, if I had rollers. And I never saw him again. When his babies were ready to be passed on, he was ready to pass on. Those were my first rollers. And I kept, I I probably kept six, seven generations of them. Until I left home to join the Army. Sorry about that. I ended up trading them off to another boy, which was the tradition. Thank you.
That's our dear friend, Dr. Raymond Christian. Now, for the record, Ray still loves his animals. You'd hear him go on about chasing down escaped hogs on his farm in North Carolina. That original score for that piece was composed and performed by the one and only Leon Morimoto. The story was produced by Anna Sussman. 